The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. It's a challenge, isn't it? Joy in suffering. Through December, we're going to be looking at joy in a number of different aspects because there is joy in this season. Some people don't find joy in Christmas, but I think many people do. And we want to encourage every one of you as we come towards Christmas to understand that there is joy because of what Jesus Christ has done for each one of us. We're just going to read first of all. So the the scripture we're going to look at today is from James. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 8 is what we're going to read. It's going to be on the screen there for you. And this is what we're going to look at briefly this morning. James says this in verse 2. He says, Consider consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So specifically, we're looking at the first part of that, the beginning. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, I'm not really sure how one should actually read that scripture. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. There is a sense in which when trials come against us, the first thing that we think of isn't necessarily joy. Now, I want to look at this under several headings. So first of all, let's unpack a few things. What are trials. What are trials? If you were reading this scripture in the King James Version, it uses the word temptations instead of trials. And so you think temptations. Temptations sound very difficult from trials. But the idea in that word temptations is that you are being tempted to walk away from your faith. There is a sense in which trials come. And what they do is they seem to shake you and they seem to test you to say, do you really believe? Is God really able to help you in the midst of this? And in that sense, the word temptation does fit, because it's like we're being pulled away. We're being enticed away from our faith. And that is sometimes what trials seem to do. So what are trials? Trials include missing your train and finding that the next one is cancelled as well. Trials include that the internet has gone down. (laughs) And you've got no phone signal either. These are trials that face us in the modern day. And yes, there's, there's that cry. Maybe that's not such a bad thing at times, that the internet goes down. But at the time, it feels like a trial. Trials include the fact that Uncle Mike and Auntie Janet, of which are not my relatives, but they could be, 
have declared they're coming to you for Christmas. Those are trials. You think like, oh no, not them. How are we going to talk? How's it going to work out? Those are trials, and trials include all of these things. However, I want to ask this question too. Does trials include living on the breadline and not having enough to feed my family? Does trials include scars or sicknesses, emotional scars and woundedness? Does trials include, I was abused when I was younger and that causes me to have low self-esteem and to suffer with emotional difficulties now? Does trials include, I was bullied at school, which causes me to feel rejection easily today? Does trials include, I have been suffering with this bad back for years now? Now, in truth, I'm not entirely sure exactly what James was referring to when he meant trials. I believe that it does include a whole broad spectrum of life that comes against us, and not just the fact that you were running for the bus and the driver decided to pull away in any case. Look at the situation that uh, we heard in that uh, report this morning about Ian's brother. There he was cycling to work, and suddenly a car hits him, and he's thrown all that distance in the air, and is at the moment in hospital because of that situation. There is a trial. You know, there's been many trials mentioned in Scripture. Luke 13, in that passage, we hear about a woman who was bent over. And when Jesus saw her, he prayed for her and released her because he said, why should Satan hold this woman who has been bound for 18 years? And he brought release to her. In Acts, we read about how Jesus went around healing all of those who were sick and oppressed by the devil. You see, sometimes, and some people would say, that Christians shouldn't be sick, and therefore that isn't really a trial. But I'm not sure that everybody who's suffering from sickness here this morning would actually agree with that. In truth, there are some things that we don't fully understand, but we do know this. Trials, when they come, they do seem to test our faith. And I'm not sure of the whole breadth of everything that comes under this phrase of trials. But I do know that there are lots of things. And James just says to us, in the midst of all of those things, I want you to consider it pure joy. Pure joy. And I can see by your faces, you're gritting your teeth a little bit this morning. Because we find it difficult to think, hang on a second. How do I find it pure joy when life does not look joyful at all? All right, let's ask a second question here. What is joy? We've looked at a little bit about what trials are, but what is joy? Well, joy is not that I'm just laughing all the time. <laughs> it's not that. Because we know that that's a city where none of us is laughing all the time. There's something bigger about joy than just laughter. The dictionary tells us that this, that joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. But it goes on to say this, that joy is the source or cause of great pleasure or delight. 
to feel joy, to be glad, to rejoice, or would summarize what joy is. Joy is an emotion. It's an emotion that we feel. And it's an emotion that has its source in God. And God is able to help us in the midst of incredible trials and difficulties that come upon us. He doesn't seem to take trials away just like that. But what James is telling us is in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the difficulties, and how broader the range they can be, in the midst of them, we can find delight. We can have confidence. We can know peace in the midst of what would seem to be incredibly tough and trying circumstances. So that's a little bit about trials. That's a little bit about what joy is. I just want to mention one last thing in this first section. And that is that we need to remember in the midst of trials, and we need to remember really about all of our lives, that God has an end goal for each one of us in mind. And that end goal obviously includes the fact that he's got purposes and plans and ways for us to walk in and things for us to do. But there's a bigger end goal that he has. And his end goal is this, is that we might be conformed to the image, to the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. I was thinking about it in the week. It's almost like there is a mold, a Jesus-shaped mold. And we are being squeezed into that mold. And you know sometimes how you're trying to push something, it won't quite fit, so you're, you're, you're pressing and you're adjusting something to make it fit into a mold. There is a sense that came to me, you know what, God's doing that with us. There are some aspects of our lives that really are not in the likeness of Jesus. And there's a bit of pressure that needs to be brought. There's a little bit of pushing and shoving that needs to come upon our lives that we may be made to be like Jesus. God has an end goal in mind for your life. And the end goal that he has is, I'm going to make you to be like my son, Jesus Christ. What was he like? He was full of grace and truth. But you know, for Jesus, for him, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He knew suffering. He knew what it was like for people to hate him, to reject him, to despise him. Both in, verb, in words, verbally, but also physically, to beat him, to crush him, to bruise him. And yet he said, for the joy that was set before me, I'm going to endure those things. There was an inner delight, there was an inner peace, there was an inner confidence within him in the midst of all of that suffering that caused him to be able to say, I have joy in my life, even though that I am pressing in to these circumstances. And Jesus indeed is our example. In Hebrews it says this, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy who set before, set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. We need to fix our eyes upon him who had that joy. We need to follow his example. Now, I don't understand and I cannot answer the question, why, completely. Because if we were now to take a, a poll and we would go around to each one and say, like, have you had any trials or, or are you actually facing any trials and, and can we talk them through? The one question that maybe would come up is not like, oh, these are so wonderful. 
but rather, why? Why has this happened to me? Why am I going through this? And the question why does come up to us, come up on our lips. And we don't always understand, I don't always understand how to answer that question. I know this, that the Bible tells me that God is good and he is good all of the time. So there's certain references that we have to take. Well, hang on, God is good. I also know this, that God has actually given us this scripture that we're looking at this morning. He's telling us to consider it joy when we're in the midst of going through various trials and difficulties because they're going to develop our faith. There's something that happens to us in the midst of trials and difficulties that is actually doing something to our relationship with God, our trust, our faith. You know, it is by faith, in effect, that we're connected to God. And faith, in God's sight, is a very precious commodity. He considers it of greater value than gold or silver. So faith is very important. And there's something about trials and difficulties, as they come against us, that actually do something to us and help us in our faith. But we cannot fully understand And it just makes me think of a scripture that you read in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says this, Seek the Lord, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. Then it goes on to say this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declared the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I don't use that as an excuse, but I need to bring that scripture before us to say, you know what, one of our problems is we're not like God. We don't fully understand God's ways. He looks at the end result of our lives. How can I make these people become more and more like my son Jesus. And he uses circumstances and difficulties and trials as part of that purpose. And therefore we can actually say there is something that God is teaching and helping us with as we go through these things that he knows about that we don't understand. You know, for me, I would be like this. Who's got a trial? Right, okay, let's, let's get rid of that. Let's make sure that goes away. Let's just have a nice, lovely, kind, loving life for everybody. There's that film, Bruce Almighty. I don't know whether you've seen it. It's quite an old film. But in that, he gets the chance to answer prayers. And, and he does this sort of thing. He says, like, you know what? Let's give everybody all the lovely things that they want. There's chaos. There's mess. Because, you see, there's a, a greater picture that needs to be looked at. And God is looking at that bigger picture. God's purpose for you, he's going to make you like his son Jesus. Sometimes he's going to make you like his son. He's going to force you into that mold. There's a bit of pressure that needs to come. Because let's be honest, in many areas of our lives, we resist. The two greatest commandments, love God with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our understanding, love our neighbor as ourselves. The most two difficult commandments. But he's asked us to do that. And if we're going to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus, then that is what we've got to be like. 
So when we feel that resistance, because of those people that we know are coming to us at Christmas, oh no, they're going to be like this, oh no. That groaning we feel inside, Lord, cause me to be more like Jesus. Help me to love them. Help me to give them a blessed day. Let me do the things and give me an attitude that causes our house to be full of peace on that day. Consider it pure joy when trials come of many kinds. That's what it says. Okay, now having laid that little bit of foundation, I just want to talk briefly about some other things. Firstly, I want to ask this question. I want to ask this question for everybody who is going through trials, trials that have been going on for a long while, things that have happened in your past that still affect you today, everything, even from the point of view that you forgot whether you've actually switched the oven on or whether you've got any food for lunch or whatever it is. A question I want to ask to God. God, don't you care? God, don't you care? Now, when we look at other people, we, we sort of think, like, okay, God cares about them. But when it comes down to you, and you're at home, and this trial's been going on for some time, let's be honest with ourselves, that question comes to our mind. God, don't you care? I thought I'd go back to Scripture and say, Lord, that's a reasonable question to ask. Has anybody ever asked that question? And the answer is yes, they have. There's two examples that I can find in Scripture where people actually say that to Jesus. Lord, don't you care? The first example was the disciples when Jesus says to them, right, we're going over to the other side of the lake, guys. Let's get in the boat, let's go. So they all get in the boat and they go. Jesus sits down and falls asleep. But as they're halfway across the lake, there's such a terrible storm that comes against the boat that these people, and let's not forget, these guys knew all about sailing. They knew all about weather conditions. They know how to handle a boat in rough circumstances. And they are getting scared and frightened. And they wake Jesus up with this. Lord, don't you care that we're about to drown? Don't you care about us in the midst of this trial? Have you got no interest? Are you just sleeping? Are you so distant? Why don't you come and help us? Very similar to how we feel in the midst of our circumstances. So the disciples were crying out to him, don't you care? You know what Jesus did? He woke up, he rebuked the storm, and he brings it to silence. And then he turned to his disciples and he started off like this. Guys, I want you to know just exactly how much I care for you. He didn't. He rebuked them for their fact that they had so much fear and little faith within them. And I'm thinking like, Jesus, why didn't you at least say, guys, you know that I love you, you know that I care for you. It's almost, you know what, that is an unspoken and doesn't need to be said thing. Because that's true for every one of us here. God loves us and lavishes his love on us. But in the midst of trials and circumstances, he wants to underline some other issues. And often in trials and circumstances that are testing us and pressing up against us, he really wants to point out, guys, in this you need to get rid of your fear, you need to come closer to me in faith. I want to underline that to you, that trials is something about building your faith. In a trial you can run away from me, 
In a trial, you can distance yourself from me. But the purpose of trials is to give you perseverance. So in the midst of difficulty, you are able to stand. When you were 13 years old, away from home, in that city, without clothes, needing food, the word of your own father came to you and brought release. Call upon the name of Jesus. Faith is what helps to break circumstances. Faith is what helps to carry us through circumstances. Perseverance gets built. There's another uh, situation in Scripture where this phrase is also raised. Don't you care? This is the situation of the home of Mary and Martha. Two sisters, the sisters of Lazarus. They have Jesus round. Jesus has come round another day. And you know what? There's a number of other guests around. And so Mary and Martha are concerned that they should be having some food because you can't have a gathering without having some food. And so there's a lot of preparation. Martha's in the kitchen. It's getting a bit hectic in the kitchen. It's getting a bit messy. Things are not quite going according to plan. In actual fact, she's having to do all the work herself. It's getting a bit more pressurized. All these people, they're in there with Jesus. They're sitting, in fact, my sister is sitting at Jesus' feet. In the end, Mary come, Martha comes in to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care? Get my sister to come and help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you know that I care. No, he doesn't. Jesus says to Martha, you are worried and concerned about many things. But your sister Mary has chosen what is better. And it is not going to be taken away from her. Now, I put this in the, in the midst of the fact on Christmas Day... You're having a cooked dinner, right? Because that's the expectation. And everybody else is in the front room talking with Jesus. Now, that would be nice if Jesus did come to you for Christmas Day. I don't accept that. Okay. But if you came, you'd be worried all the more. Wow, what's Jesus want? Does he want turkey? Does he like roast potatoes? Does he like Brussels sprouts? You'd be worried about that? You'd get worried about those things. Well, what in heaven, what is being said? There is a higher issue. The highest issue is that man does not live on bread only, but he lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how he finds his real strength. You know, as human beings, we are physical beings, but we're also a spiritual being. We can spend so much time coaxing and helping the physical being, making sure it has breakfast, making sure it has dinner, making sure it has a latte. Oh no, I didn't want a latte, I wanted a cappuccino. Or make that a flat white, or whatever it is, or a Coke. Or whatever we're worrying about, the physical person. But how much time do we really give to the spiritual person? And when it comes to talking to heaven, talking with Jesus, Jesus is saying to Martha... Martha, I understand that there is a necessity for the physical need. I understand that, but you have lost touch with the reality of what really matters. And what really matters is that these people are fed by the Word of God. Faith and the Word are important things when it comes to trials. We're being tested on those things because we need to get hold of the Word of God. Without the promises... How are we going to be able to get through? Without the promises. We were singing one of the promises this morning, which comes from 
Isaiah 54. I think it's 54. Isaiah 54, verse 17. But I just read from verse 16. Let me read this to you. See, God says, see, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to work havoc. That sounds a bit like God knows that there are trials that come against us. And not every one of those trials has come from him, but he allows trials to come against us. This is where I come into the fact, I, look, I don't understand how it all works out, but I understand this. I know when a trial is against me. I know that. I know when I'm suffering. I know when it's not going easy. So I know that. Whether it's God who's done it, or whether it's the enemy who's done it, or whatever, God knows about it. And he has created the destroyer to work havoc. I think, well, thanks, God. But then he says this in verse 17. But no weapon forged against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. In the midst of trials, God is wanting to do a work about our faith, about our perseverance, about our hearing the word of God, about our receiving the word of God. And it's not a case of us saying, God, don't you care? The truth is, the unspoken almost, is that, listen, my people, I care for you more than you're ever going to know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son that we should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves us, but in the midst of the trials that we're going through, he wants to establish our faith, and he wants us to receive the word of God. And he puts those at a high position. So that's the first thing. Second thing, and I'll probably only just get through this, I, just, I, I do want to touch on this point because it's important. We need to use the tools that he has given to us. Whether the trial is coming from the throne room of heaven or whether the throne room of heaven knows that the enemy is bringing the trial, I know this, there are tools that we need to use. The tools are these, repentance, forgiveness, and seeking for mercy and grace. Now these are tools. Now let, let's just go back quickly to the situation I said, what if you were one of those people that were bullied at school? You were bullied and actually, if you, if you care to think about it, in fact, you don't have to think that much, you go back to that time because you know that those people had such an effect upon you, and although you have chosen to sort of say, I'm sorry, or, or forgive them, or release them, you still suffer from those things today because there's somehow this stuff in your life that's still <coughs> attached to you. And you're still suffering even these years back. Now... I'm not saying you haven't used these weapons, but I do want to say these tools, but I want to say that in every circumstance of life, we must be using the tool of repentance. Repentance isn't just a spiritual word that you might know. It is an activity that every one of us must undertake and is where we acknowledge we have done wrong, we have not lived up to what God wanted, we have been in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, or we haven't been doing the things that we know that God has asked us to do, and we should repent. 
We should say we are sorry. We should admit our situations. And not just on that thing with God, but what about all the people in the office or your family at home, your husband, your wife, your children? We need to be making sure that even if we haven't said it directly to them, which is a good thing to do, we need to be repenting of our behavior, our attitudes, our sins before God. Otherwise, they accumulate and it makes an effect upon our lives. Oh, we don't like to think about that. No, come on. No, it has an effect. The same way as not forgiving people. I'm not going to forgive them because they don't deserve to be forgiven. Maybe you're right. You know what forgiveness is? It's not about letting them get away with it. It's about handing them over to the highest authority. When you forgive, you are releasing them into God's hands. You're saying, God, I trust you enough that you who are the judge of all things, you're going to deal with this one. But as for me, I'm not going to be attached to this person any longer. I'm not going to be brought down with this circumstance. Now, you know, for some things, oh, that's okay for you to say that. It was only £100 that guy borrowed from you and never repaid. But what about the £10,000 I lent to my relative and they haven't repaid? What about the fact that my innocence sexually was taken from me and that was not my doing when I was young? What about me being bullied and victimised when I had no power to overcome? Why should I forgive in those circumstances? And that's why we need to really understand when we're forgiving somebody, we're handing them over to the highest authority. That's the best thing we can do. I need somebody to deal with this because I can't deal with it. We must hand them over. Listen, folks, repentance. Is there repentance in your life? When was the last time you repented? Oh, I remember repenting months ago. When was the last time you thought in your mind or you allowed the Holy Spirit, is there anybody that I'm holding anything against? We need to allow God to come. Because if we're not using these tools, it creates a backlog in our life. And sometimes that just means that maybe more trials or more difficulties can hang around. The lady who was bent over for 18 years that I was talking about earlier on. She'd been going through life for 15 years. When it was year 15, she's been saying, I've had this bad back for ages, you know. This is just my lot, this is carrying on. Year 16, the same. Year 17, the same. But there came a day when she met Jesus, and Jesus said, how come Satan has been able to bind you for this long? I'm releasing you. There's power in the name of Jesus. But you know, sometimes we block the work of Jesus because we refuse to forgive. Jesus says if we refuse to forgive, then he refuses to forgive us. This is, this is like down the line, hard, in-your-face stuff, but this is the stuff we've got to deal with. This is the stuff when it comes personally to us. Do we want to take this on board, and are we actually going to let it affect our lives? So repentance is important, forgiveness is important, but you know what just as important, and I touched on this last week, the scripture from Hebrews 4 where it tells us we have a high priest who understands and he tells us to come boldly before his throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help us in our time of need.
And there's one thing where I can repent, I can, I can talk about repentance and the need for that. I can talk about the need for forgiveness, and I want to underline those greatly. But I also cannot move on it without underlining this need as well. We need to be able to go before the throne of grace. Boldly. Because we need mercy. We need mercy. Lord, I am down. I am finding this trial so hard. I want to find joy in the midst of it. You know, when we come before him and we start to find that his presence is touching our hearts, that his promises are starting to refresh our lives, that we're getting strengthened in who he is with the understanding that our God will not fail us. He will not leave us. You know, for Christians, we're supposed to live dependently upon him, not independently from him. And what we're talking about here, these things help us to build our dependence. I need him. I need his guidance. I need his help. When we come to that position, we're starting to align ourselves with heaven. We're starting to get into that relationship. When we are in that relationship and that relationship is working, you know what? Trials bring them on. Because in God, I know that my God will not allow anything to come against me that is going to crush me. His purposes for me are to build me up, to strengthen me, to help me. Yes, maybe his purposes are to refine me and to change me. Yes, maybe he's had to use a bit of harsh sandpaper on me to get me smooth. But I know his ultimate goal is to make me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That is what he is seeking to do. And therefore, though these things, there goes my bus. I'm not going to catch it. I can praise the Lord because he is here to help me. And you know, because we're thinking about, oh no, how am I going to cope? Martha was thinking, how am I going to feed these people? Oh, my dinner's going to spoil. I haven't got anybody to help me. And Jesus, in effect, says to her, stop. You're worrying about the wrong things. Now come back to the focus of the right thing. So often our day and our lives are so caught up with the rhythm of this world and what we've got to do and how we get into those things and how we're being carried along because everybody else is doing it. And he's saying from heaven, I want you to stop and come to me. Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened. I will give you rest. When we come to his presence, his perfect peace, which is beyond understanding, comes and arrests our hearts. We find faith for the, the day. We find forgiveness. We find peace. We find release. We find that we are being transformed. We find that we are being changed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, which was the purpose that God had for us. Folks, it is possible for us to be in this place, just as James is saying, consider it, Pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many different kinds, because we know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you might be mature. Mature. That's another reason why they come. Because God is trying to strengthen us and bring us to maturity. When a child is young, a child often gets smacked or adjusted or helped or sat on the naughty seat or whatever it might be because they've been naughty, because they need to have their behavior and the, the ways adjusted into what is right. They need to be brought into line. We are just the same. 
God needs to help us to come into line, into the alignment of his thinking, his ways, his understanding. And only he can do that. Oh, I've run out of time. But just to say this, the trials of Paul. Paul, in 2 Corinthians verse 1, verse 8, he says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we have suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Does that sound like a trial to you? <laughs> it sounds like a trial to me. It sounds like a ferocious trial. And Paul goes on to say, Indeed, our heart, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, that's what Paul was seeing in the midst of his trials. He recognizes this is pressing me towards God. We want our trials to press us towards God. Because when they do that, we find his strength. And in the midst of those difficulties, when we're pressed towards God, we start to feel joy. Because God is able to help us. We're going to come to communion. And as we come to communion, because of what I've been talking about, I don't want us just to, to take this without thinking. So I'm going to pray first of all. Not just praying for the bread and the wine, the representation of what Jesus has done for us but praying that the presence of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon our lives. In this room, how many problems have we got? How many trials are we facing? Many. But God wants to bring release. He wants to bring help. He wants to bring strength in the midst of those situations. He wants to hold us up. He wants us to come to that place of repentance, of things that we haven't repented of, things that we're getting stubborn about. Do you find you're stubborn? Father, have mercy upon me because I'm so stubborn. Some of you don't even want to say, I'm not going to pray that I am stubborn. I'm just going to ask for your help that I might not be stubborn. At least it's a step forward. Let's come to that throne. Let's come for mercy and grace. Let's rush there. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit will bring somebody to your mind who you need to forgive. Maybe it's somebody close at home, husband or wife. Maybe it's somebody in the office you're having problems with. Forgive them. Release them into the hands of the higher power, which is God. That God can do his work in you. Do not give any ground to the enemy to give him the ability to hold on to things in your life. Release them. Father, in the name of Jesus, we humble ourselves before your throne to acknowledge that you are the supreme one the highest authority, the great and mighty God, the one who has created us, the one who knows the plans he has for each one of us, and the one who loves us more than we can ever imagine. We come to you to seek for mercy and grace. We come to your throne room to ask you this morning, Lord, is there anything we need to repent of? Is there anything, Lord, in our lives that we're holding on to that we need to release, that we need to forgive? Lord, will you touch our hearts? Will you bring the cleansing of your blood upon our lives? Will you bring the renewing of your word to our hearts? Father, we ask for mercy this morning. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if the Holy Spirit is highlighting things, then as you're taking the part of this communion, then deal with those things. Deal with them. Let the people go that are frustrating you, that are hurting you, that are annoying you. Choose again to walk in the way that God has said you should walk in this. You should love me and you should love your neighbour as yourself. Father, we want to thank you for the provision of your son, Jesus. We want to thank you that you have given us salvation. And salvation came through his body. We want to thank you that his body was broken for us. And as we partake of this loaf, we pray that we may be partakers in the body of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for all that you have done for us. And we receive the life of Jesus today afresh. Amen. I just want you to take some of the bread and uh, pass it on to the person next to you. If you're not a believer, then I would just say, just allow these elements to pass by. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, can I underline to you, it's not about how good you are. Because in truth, you're not good. You're rotten to the core. But taking communion is recognizing how good God is and how he is the only one who can make a way for us to have forgiveness of our sins. So take and eat of this and be grateful.